You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 12 to 21, verses 36 to 39. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is the word of the Lord. A very good morning, everyone. <clears throat> uh, the Lord bless you. I really want to appreciate all of you for your prayers for Crystal and for me. Uh, Crystal has been recovering really well. I, I also, as you heard earlier, I uh, tested positive for COVID just in the middle of the week. And I've been recovering pretty well as well. Um, <clears throat> you can hear a bit of congestion. And uh, I'm also having this niggling cough. So if... Um, no, later, if I need to pause just to let out a few hearty coughs, uh, please just excuse me, all right? Uh, but again, I want to praise God for the way in which He's just helped us recover and regain our strength and uh, be able even to bring this sermon across to you. And praise God for the technology, uh, also for the expertise that we have in our church, and so such that this sermon series can still go on. Well, what we are, where we're now at is that uh, we're well into our, our series in Acts. Uh, next Sunday will be the final sermon, and I'm looking forward to bringing you the word live uh, by the grace of God. The whole thrust of this series is about the Holy Spirit and how he empowers every member of the church for the flourishing of the gospel in the church, in the family, in the community, the city, and the nations. Now, to be an every member church, we need the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying that this series will prompt in you a fresh dependence on the Holy Spirit for your belonging in the church body, for a fresh boldness in discovering and utilizing your giftings, and for the work of flourishing that God has called you to. 
Today we come to part two of the events that transpired on the day of Pentecost. Last week we heard about the significance of Pentecost and we also saw how the coming of the Holy Spirit was captured through the perspective of the non-Christians. So what we learned is that the day of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, it wasn't just for Israel, it wasn't just for the believers, the Christians, it wasn't just for the church, but it was for the nations. It was also for the nations. And that's going to be the heading of our roadmap in today's sermon, a Pentecost for the nations. Our passage today continues through the perspective of the non-Christians. And I'll be breaking down the sermon into two parts based on the two questions that the non-Christians ask in today's passage. The first being, uh, what does this mean? And the second, what shall we do? And at the end, I want to leave us with three truths, all right, for us uh, for you know, as Christians today. So let's begin with the first question. What does this mean? Now, on the day of Pentecost, the believers had been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they had broken out in tongues, right, different languages, declaring the mighty works of God. The non-Christians who were outside, many of them were not from, you know, they were not from Jerusalem itself, and they were astounded to hear these Galilean men and women preaching and praising God in their mother tongues. And this is how they responded. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So they were confounded, they were confused, and they wanted to, to clarify, right? What was going on? In verse 13, there were some other cynical observers, and they claimed that the believers were simply just drunk, right? That's all. And that was, of course, just a very dismissive answer because I'm sure you know that alcohol cannot help you to magically pick up whole new languages suddenly. So the question remains, what did the events of Pentecost mean? And just as we saw in Acts chapter 1, out of the 120 believers there, it is Peter again who shows leadership to respond to this question. Now, I was just wondering, you know, now that all 120 of them have been filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, why didn't, you know, say Matthias, the newest apostle, why, why didn't he take the lead instead? Or why didn't one of the women who was there with them take the lead? Why, why is it Peter again? And the thing is that God is a God of continuity, right? He created Peter with leadership capabilities. Jesus himself had further groomed those leadership skills. And now the Holy Spirit was infusing Peter's natural leadership ability with fresh supernatural power. And I think right here is an encouragement for us not to despise the small things that God has created you with, the natural abilities, the talents, the passions, but instead submitting them back to God and letting the Holy Spirit bring uh, a fresh supernatural angle and dimension uh, to those giftings and passions that you already have. And I think that would be wonderful. So back to the story, all right? So Peter, who is now full of the Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, he speaks up. He addresses both the local Jews and the worshippers from uh, the foreign lands. And first thing he clarifies is that, no, the Christians are not drunk. It's too early for that. Then Peter reaches into the Old Testament, into Scripture, and he provides them an answer. Peter, in verse 16, says, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then Peter goes on to quote the prophet Joel specifically from chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. Now, it's a lengthy passage, uh, but to help us better understand it, 
I've broken down the passage into five parts to Peter's proclamation from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. The first thing Peter proclaimed was that a new era had dawned. He speaks about the last days, right? Now we must remember that the people Peter was speaking to, uh, they followed the, the Jewish faith, all right? They were familiar with the, with the Old Testament. And, and the last days was a topic that many of the Old Testament prophets spoke about. Sometimes they called it the late latter days, sometimes those days. Uh, sometimes they just use the, the, the word afterwards, right? And to the Jews, the last days was a blessed period in human history where God would fulfill his many great and awesome promises to his people and to the world. To hear that the last days were now here was wonderful news to the Jews. So Peter was declaring that with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the last days are now here. The world was now in a new era. The second thing Peter proclaimed uh, was that this new era would bring about a new normal. In the last days, God promises to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Now, before the coming of the last days, in the previous era, you could say, God had typically poured out his spirit on special and specific persons, right? Especially those of, of uh, very uh, special standings, right? People like kings and prophets and priests. But now, in the last days, the spirit will be poured out on all. Not only the men, but the women. Not only the young, but on the old. Not only on those with high standing, but even on those as lowly as slaves, right? All flesh would receive the Holy Spirit. This new normal had already been demonstrated when the 120 believers, with all their, their differences and all the demographics in, in that group, they were all baptized with the Holy Spirit. But even unknown to them, those 120 unknown to Peter, God had still intended to pour out the Spirit not only on the Jews, but also on the Gentiles. So the new era had ushered in the new normal of a Spirit-filled church. The third thing Peter proclaimed was that the new normal would come with a new mark. Being filled with the Spirit would be marked with the ability to prophesy. This would be the new mark, the new sign of this new normal. Now, what is prophecy? Right? Prophecy is simply communication from God to man. All right? It's not necessarily about foretelling future events, but prophecy is always about being God's mouthpiece in this world. And we see this happening with the 120 believers who through the Spirit were declaring the mighty works of God. Now, this mark of prophecy is different from the spiritual gift of prophecy. This is why Paul, before addressing the topic of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, he makes this statement. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So regardless of spiritual gifts, this is what every spirit-filled believer has the joy and privilege of declaring. The Apostle John says something similar in 1 John 4. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So genuinely acknowledging, declaring, and communicating the Lordship of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, and the gospel of Jesus Christ in this sinful world, that is the new mark of prophecy for all spirit-filled believers in this new era. So a new era 
a new normal and a new mark. Now, Peter switches it up a bit and he proclaims an old climax. Peter wants these Jewish worshippers to know that despite all these new things that God was doing, God was still committed to his promises from of old. Verse 19, Peter quotes Joel in saying, And God will show wonders in the heavens above. This is referring to the skies and signs on the earth below. So here, Peter differentiates between signs and wonders. All right, Wonders are things God accomplishes in the sky. So things like what is mentioned in verses 19 and 20, right? Blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun being turned to darkness, the moon to blood, right? These are all meant to be associated with the wonders shown in the skies above. Peter doesn't mention much about the kind of signs being done on the earth, though. And I think that is because the signs were already being done, already being revealed, right? The group of 120 believers they, they were bursting into tongues and there was already a sure sign on the earth below. And as you carry on in the book of Acts, you will see many more of such signs being done on the earth. And the purpose of these earthly signs and heavenly wonders was to climax in a particular event, right? Uh, Peter says, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Now, the Jewish listeners understood the day of the Lord to refer to the day of both God's judgment upon the earth and God's salvation for his people. This was the climax of the Old Testament. Whenever the prophets talked about the last days, they would often talk about the day of the Lord. But even for the Jews, the day of the Lord was a day of fear. The prophet Joel himself spoke about the day of the Lord as a day of trembling a day of darkness and gloom, a day of great judgment. Who can endure the great and awesome day of the Lord? Joel asked. Peter was declaring that, that, new, that the new era, the new normal and the new mark, all these pointed to the fact the dreadful day of the Lord was drawing near. This brings us to the last thing that Peter proclaimed, an old salvation. Peter's proclamation, together with the sign of the disciples prophesying in different languages, this must have brought great fear to those listening to Peter because they realized that the day of the Lord was drawing near. But Peter ends his quote from the prophet Joel with this final verse. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, this was great, good news of great hope. Right now, the Jews were, of course, they were familiar with this verse, but they probably didn't quite understand it. Many of the Jews thought that it was by doing the things required of them, like going to the temple on the day of Pentecost to offer their first fruits. It was by doing things like these that they would be saved. But actually, God has always delivered his people uh, who, who would humble themselves and call upon his name. He has always spared them from judgment. Israel's most evil king, for example, King Ahab. At one point, he humbled himself and called upon God for mercy. And God spared King Ahab the full judgment that he truly deserved. And even people outside of Israel experienced this. The people of Nineveh who listened to the prophet Jonah, right? They humbled themselves and they called upon the name of the Lord. And God spared them from judgment. Similarly, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was saved from his insanity, 
when he humbled himself and called upon the name of the Lord. Now, this has always been God's way of saving sinners. This is an old salvation that Peter was proclaiming. But in the coming verses, which we won't be covering today, Peter will make it clear that it is the name of Jesus that we must call on to be saved. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Now with this, Peter ends his proclamation from Joel, a new era of the last days, a new normal of spiritual believers, a new mark of prophecy, an old climax of the day of the Lord, and an old salvation of being saved by grace through faith. Now, if you were tracking along during all five parts, I want to commend you for doing so. I know it may not have been easy. It may have felt like, you know, you're just receiving a lot of information. But I went into all that detail because I need you to understand what Peter was saying. All five parts of his proclamation from Joel is so relevant to us today. The coming of the Holy Spirit is why we have Agape Baptist Church, a church that, as far as I know, doesn't have a single Jew in it, but is full of Gentile ethnicities. This is a new era. The coming of the Holy Spirit is why we have a church where both men and women can serve, where both young and old can contribute, where both rich and poor can lead. That's the new normal. The coming of the Holy Spirit is why you don't have to be a pastor or a longtime Christian or attend, you know, have attended umpteen trainings and classes before you can be God's mouthpiece in this world. That's the new mark. The coming of the Holy Spirit is why we seek to look beyond the church to the family, to the community, the city, and the nations. There's an urgency because of the old climax, the day of the Lord, which is coming soon. And the coming of the Holy Spirit is why the gospel is still good news, because that's the old salvation that, that, that's been tried, that has been tested, has been proven by generations of people who have called upon the name of the Lord and have been saved. People have got to realize that the coming of the Holy Spirit has revolutionized the church. We are not the same as other clubs and communities out there in the world. All right. And neither are we the same as the people in the Old Testament. Something radical has taken place with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And as we talk about becoming an every member church, woe to us if we think we can be such a church without the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit poured out on all flesh that puts the every member in an every member church. It is the Holy Spirit indwelling each believer that makes every believer matter, belong, and essential to the body of Christ. So Peter's response is really important. And I hope that the spirit in you rejoiced to hear what Peter had to say on that day of Pentecost. That's the first question. We come now to the second. What shall we do? In answering the first question, Peter quotes the prophet Joel and later the Psalms of David. Peter proves from these scriptures that Jesus is truly the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. So having answered that first question, Peter then ends his speech with this in verse 36. So let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
Peter ends his speech by declaring that these Jews were all guilty. They had murdered the very man God had appointed to be their king and savior. Now, Peter was not being dramatic. He, was, he wasn't trying to be sensational or provocative by saying such a thing. The truth is many of these Jews had probably at the very least quietly agreed among themselves that Jesus was a blaspheming liar worthy of the worst kind of death. Now, most, if not all, of these Jews had probably been in Jerusalem for the Passover, and they would have seen Jesus being paraded around the city, tortured, executed. And it wouldn't have been a surprise if many of these Jews had been among the crowds, right, jeering at Jesus, spitting on him, spewing curses at him. And they were inexcusably guilty. And so when they heard this, when these Jews, when they heard what Peter had said, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were convicted of their guilt to the very core. And so they looked with desperation to Peter and the other apostles and asked them the second question, what shall we do? What must we do to be saved? And this is Peter's response from Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. Immediately, Peter exhorts them. He appeals to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Now, this was familiar lingo for the Jews. They didn't need to be led in praying a, a sinner's prayer or anything like that. They knew what Peter was talking about, right? Repentance, it meant turning their hearts away from their wicked unbelief and now turning their hearts towards faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, if repentance was the inward motion of their hearts, then baptism was the outward expression of it. Just as each one of them was guilty, just as each one of them needed to repent, now each and every one of them had to be baptized as well. Now, these Jews may or may not have experienced baptisms before, but this time, they would be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And this meant that, they, that through their baptism, they were acknowledging their submission to the authority of Jesus and declaring their fealty, their loyalty, their allegiance to the Lord Jesus. Now, with this one exhortation, Peter then provides three accompanying promises. Promise number one, the forgiveness of sins. Now, for the convicted guilt-stricken Jews, the promise that their sins would be forgiven was such good news. It was unbelievable news. You see, by, by raising their hands against God's anointed, their sins should have been unpardonable. But they were receiving good news of great hope. But not only were they given the promise of the forgiveness of sins, they were also promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, these Jews would, be receive, uh, would not be receiving the, the baptism of John the Baptist, you know, just the baptism of water, but they would be receiving the baptism of Jesus Christ, that is the baptism of fire and of the Holy Spirit. They would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit just as the 120 believers had received also. Peter then brings a third promise, that the invitation stands. It remains open. You see, what Peter, the good news Peter was bringing to them was not just a one-time offer for these Jews who so happened to be in the right place at the right time, 
but the invitation stood for their families, for their relatives, for their neighbors, for their loved ones, many of whom who were far off in their own homelands. They too could turn to Jesus and receive the promises of the forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So to the question, what shall we do? Peter not only gives them a cause of action, which is to repent and be baptized, but he also provides them with three promises. Now you can imagine how devastated, how wrecked these Jews must have felt by the expression of God's grace towards them. I mean, they should have been put on death row. Their families should, be, should have been put on death row. But they were receiving pardon. They were receiving the high honor of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And even their families, their loved ones, their friends, their neighbors, all of these were being invited to come and experience the mercy of God. What kind of love is this? What kind of grace? Now, as we hear these things, the questions that were asked, the responses that the Holy Spirit gave through the Apostle Peter, how do we apply these things? Right? What do they mean for us today? Well, as we close, I want to leave us with three truths for, for us today. The first truth is that the world is crying out. The two questions that the Jews asked that day are the same questions that people around the world are asking till this very day. When a pandemic hits, when war breaks out, when natural disasters strike, when things happen at the job front, in the family, when there's a diagnosis of cancer, when hopes and dreams fall apart, when relationships fail, when a loved one passes away, when there are regrets, guilt, despair, shame. These are the two questions that spring forth from the heart. What does this mean? What shall we do? Every day the world cries out for answers, for an explanation of some kind, for some illumination, some enlightenment, some direction, some cause of action, some hope. And as Christians, as witnesses, how are we engaging with a world like this? Our family members, our colleagues, our friends, our neighbors, people on social media, are we hearing their cries? And what can we offer them? This brings me to the second truth. The gospel is still good news. Now, throughout the ages, the world has tried to provide answers, answers to these two questions. Right? People have looked to religion, to philosophy, to science, to art, to nature, to politics, to therapy, to distraction, to outer space, to inner meditation, all kinds of things, just to find ways to explain, to confirm, to vindicate, to justify, to point the blame, to shoulder the blame, or to try and fix things. And in one moment of time and one point of history, some new idea or some new approach captures the mind of the culture and captures the attention of the world. And everyone starts thinking, ah, this must be it, right? This must be how we're going to find the answers to those two questions, what all this means, what, what we need to do. And then that approach falls short and a new idea takes its place. And through all of this, through all, all this time, spirit-filled believers have never shifted from the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is Lord, that the whole world stands guilty, but that Jesus is also Savior. And if anyone would repent and be baptized, man or woman, young or old, upper class, lower class, 
they would receive the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the opportunity to invite their loved ones to be saved as well. Even today, the gospel is still good news. It points to the old salvation that has been tried and tested and proven by generations of people who have called upon the name of the Lord and have been saved. Now, here's the final truth. The Holy Spirit flourishes the gospel. You probably know this, but it is so possible to communicate, proclaim the gospel, and yet it does everything, accomplishes everything except convict. Right? The gospel can generate interest, right? it can pique interest, it can inspire people, it can bring about an emotional soothing. But many times the gospel that we proclaim just doesn't convict, doesn't cut to the heart. Now, why is that? Now, when we look at Peter, Peter was successful in his preaching of the gospel. We saw how the people were cut to the heart. Right? They were convicted as they heard him. But what was the secret to his success? Right? Was it the passages of scripture that he used? Or was it because he was a particularly gifted communicator? People, the conviction was the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John chapter 16 said this about the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. As Peter spoke to the crowds about how, how all the house of Israel had crucified Jesus lawlessly, unjustly, the Holy Spirit convicted the listeners of judgment, that even the authorities, the rulers, the powers that be who had put Jesus to death, they too were being judged. There would be no escape even for them. As Peter spoke about how Jesus is truly Lord and Messiah according to the Psalms, the Holy Spirit convicted the listeners of righteousness, that Jesus and Jesus alone is the Holy One. He is the righteous one. And as Peter spoke about the Jews' unbelief in Jesus, despite Jesus being God's appointed King and Savior over them, the Holy Spirit convicted the listeners of sin that their unbelief had damned them. It was the Holy Spirit working through Peter who brought about conviction in the hearts of the Jews. And in the same way, it will be the Holy Spirit working through you who will bring about that conviction in the hearts of those around you, in your families, in your community, in your city, and in the nations. People, we are in the last days. And this is a new era, an era where God's promises are being fulfilled. It's an era where God's promises, where God promises to move. And as the earth cries out, would you as spirit-filled believers be God's mouthpiece to declare that there is still hope, that there is still a future because of Jesus who is Lord and Savior of all? Would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, declare the good news of the gospel? Because the day of the Lord is coming soon but it shall nevertheless come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, on the name of Jesus, shall be saved. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.